everyone. It's Daniel Elwood and Robert Paul Johnson, and we are The Last Nighters. You can find us on the Launchpad Media, where they're always launching new ideas in your direction, and also at lastnighters.com. This is going to be episode 148 of the show, and we're going to be talking about The Purge as our election night uh, or election week uh, episode. So you can find the show notes more at lastnighters.com slash 148. Uh, we have some pre-show content already in place, and uh, Robert goes on a, a pretty lengthy rant. Uh, he might even start a show out of it. He doesn't know that yet, but uh, he might... Uh, called Robert's Rants, and uh, you can get that at our Patreon, lastnighters.com slash Patreon. Throw a couple dollars our way, and we will give you uh, access to all sorts of things that uh, you probably didn't even know you wanted. So uh, with that uh, enticing uh, introduction, I also want to introduce you to our guest tonight. He is a multi-time guest on the show. He was on most recently, I believe, for uh, Snowpiercer, and before that was Spirited Way, uh, the Miyazaki movie, right? Um, and then uh, you were on for the um, the Robert the Bruce movie, right? Whatever that one was called. Uh, the Outlaw King. That's right. So, yes, it's the based Swede, the anarcho-Viking, Olaf, joining us once again. Welcome back to the show, Olaf. G great to be here again from the heart of Winter Park. All right. Yeah, he's in a swing Florida. state, everyone. We were talking about that in the pre-show. So we'll get your your take on the, the election uh, as we discuss the purge. And, and one of the reasons we chose the purge is because I figured that no matter who ends up the victor, whether we know on election night or not, there's going to be a whole swath of people who are upset. Now, the, if it goes one direction, I think that the people who are going to be upset are going to be more um, violence in the streets type, like purge style. And then the other side, I'm not sure exactly what might happen, but uh, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of weeks. And recently, our man, uh, Turning the Frogs Gay, uh, Alex Jones, was on with Joe Rogan, uh, episode 1555, uh, talking about the 79 days of hell that he expected uh, right after the election up until Inauguration Day, because he figured that no matter what the outcome, uh, if it's not a, a clear Biden victory on election night, then they're going to contest it, fight it. Uh, all the way through to January and have this go through the courts and, and uh, the Democratic Party, you know, they are a party of lawyers. And so they, they kind of have an advantage there. But uh, anyway, um, I digress a little bit. Uh, but welcome back to the show. We will have all of the prior appearances that you were on with us on our show notes page. Uh, do you have any um, projects or anything you want to mention uh, before we get into the movie? No, I mean, that just whenever I was on the previous appearances, like that's, that's it. You can um, link to those because those were also um, worthwhile discussions about uh, important movies. Yes. Yes. I uh, really enjoyed them. I remember <laughs> my wife uh, watches these live. Um, and when you were on for outlaw King, it was like uh, almost two years ago now, I think uh, she was like, yeah, you guys really had a good rapport, you know? And, and I think I mentioned that in the, post show like hey man you should you know do your own show or something yeah, um, yeah right no it hasn't happened but you know I'll, I'll keep <laughs> keep thinking about it no yeah that's that's very nice of her to say no but it was it was a good it was a good movie so i credit the movie to you know uh you, some things you can say a lot about and some things uh, there's not so much to say about so right yeah well said and uh, i i know that you've also been um doing a lot of updates on sweden as you're originally from sweden and how it mm -hmm. relates to uh, the current pandemic and, and how it's being misconstrued in media and presented in media uh, in a certain uh, bent, shall we say, as you've done a lot of long posts about that. Uh, I've also seen you on uh, A Neighbor's Choice, the uh, David... Uh, yeah, yeah, how, yeah. How do you say his name? Is it uh, Gronoski? 
Uh, Gornoski. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I've been on there for uh, about two or three times, I think. And uh, yeah, now it's uh, he's he's doing a, a radio his live live radio show from um, from Florida. So it's on uh, WFM uh, FLA Orlando. Uh, can't remember exactly which frequency, but it's a neighbor ch neighbor's choice. If you Google that, it'll get to the website and, and all the archive stuff is there. So you can find my appearances there too. Okay. I'll find those and put on the show notes page as well. And then uh, I've also heard uh, his show being um, advertised on uh, the great Dave Smith's part of the problem. Oh, yeah. So anyway, big influences uh, all around. And, and thanks again for joining us. And as you know, how we usually start these things off is with the, uh, the old Google description. So I will pull that up now. And uh, away we go. So The Purge came out 2013 and has spawned several uh, prequels and sequels and whatnot. I think there's one more coming out next year. Rated R horror slash thriller. And it's an hour and 25 minutes in length. The IMDb is 5.7 out of 10. 40% Rotten Tomatoes, 41% Metacritic, and 85% of Google users liked it. Uh, it did make a fair amount of money, and uh, that's why they keep making more of these things. And uh, as we had discussed, Olaf, in the uh, pre-show, that it's not necessarily a good movie per se, but it does have a lot of interesting uh, discussion points, and that will be the basis uh, for tonight. So the description is, in an America ravaged by crime and overcrowded prisons, the government sanctions an annual 12-hour period during which all criminal activity, including murder, is legal. James Sandon, played by our man from Training Day, Ethan Hawke, and his family face the ultimate test when an intruder drags the uh, vicious outside world into their home. James Mary, uh, played by uh, Circe, Queen Circe, and their two children struggle to survive the night while trying not to turn into monsters like the ones they are striving to avoid. The release date was May 31st, 2013. Director is James De Monaco. Uh, he also did the screenplay. He wrote the screenplays for all of the, uh, the movies, including the one yet to come. And there's even a television series. And I think he, uh, at least did the pilot episode for that budget of only $3 million. And I think that, uh, they, uh, cleared over a hundred million on this thing. Um, so they did pretty, pretty well with this. And, uh, Robert, I'll go to you for your opening on, uh, the great, uh, purge from 2013. Ooh, the great purge, huh? Oh, I see just enabling white supremacists over here. All right. So this is one of those high concept, low budget, you know, people just getting started in Hollywood. They they got an idea and they can scrap another to money together to, to make basically what is a, a pilot movie. It's, you know, it's... It, it, it looks pretty, pretty bad, especially when all the lights go out and then it's like Blair Witch Project. But, you know, the, the, the acting is competent. I mean, Cersei Lannister lady, she is great. I mean, she doesn't get a whole lot to do here. She's way better. You got way more meat you know, on Game of Thrones. And then um, help me with the, the main guy again, Ethan Hawke, right? You are correct, sir. Yes, Ethan Hawke. Yeah, he, he was okay. Um, I mean, he's not the world's greatest actor, but he, you know, did fine enough job for what he had to do. He was basically played statist concerned dad for the most part. But, um, what I liked most about this movie and probably what helped it get made was the concept. It is a bunch of flawed statist capitalists 
as the heroes getting attacked by a bunch of statist commies as the villains and uh, the capitalists kill the commies. So, I mean, what's not to love about this movie? Honestly. Um, yeah. I, I, uh, when, when the, it came time or the justification of what, why people were purging and, you know, there's a bit of psychology thrown in. I kind of appreciated that. I don't agree with it at all. I don't think that um, human beings can just store up all their anger and hatred and animosity all year and then cathartically release it by killing, you know, random guy or even even the uh, the target of your ire and then have everything be peaceful after that. I think as we've talked about used to talk about more on the show, but not so much lately because it's kind of, you know, old news. But you know, solving your problems with violence just creates more problems. And the movie does try to like, has a psychologist come on and talk about how uh, everybody cathartically killing and then just, you know, getting it out of your system basically. But once you go around killing all these people, all you're going to do is create a whole ton of resentment. The people in the movie, it only works if everybody in the world is a psychopath and can't empathize with all the people. And it's very much the case with the characters in the beginning of a movie, like the kind of the arc of the heroes is that they're very much pro purge. And then they kind of learn that, Oh gee, when it happens to you, it's kind of sucks. And you know, Oh, these people that are dying are actually people too. And I mean, they kind of know that cause they're adults, but then they also go along or they believe the propaganda that it needs to happen for a better world. It's it's a it's an individualist versus collectivist argument. It's a capitalist versus communist argument because the main characters sell these systems, these uh, security systems, and the the enemies, the villains, are people that think you should have given it to us for free. <laughs> and so, I I I thought it was great. I I thought that uh, you know it was it was high concept. It was a high concept. I wouldn't say it's a horror movie, and it wouldn't even say it's a it's a thriller either because we didn't really get to know the main characters enough to care about them when they were getting killed and in danger and stuff. I was like, yeah, go ahead, kill them. Go ahead. I really <laughs> don't care. I don't give a shit about these people, but I mean, I was with them in terms of the argument. I just didn't think the movie gave me enough emotional reason to like and care about them. But overall, I, I, I had a lot of fun. I had a lot of fun with this one. Okay. Yeah. You know, it's funny. My, my wife, when we were watching, she's like, I know Robert's going to say, I, they didn't develop the characters enough. I don't care if these people die. <laughs> That's right. So she was so absolutely she right. It. She called it. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, you know, just my initial uh, take on what you're saying is I, I think that it's maybe a caricature of quote unquote capitalists that they're sort of presenting here and the argument that they're selling a, uh, they're overselling a shoddy product with marketing speak. Um, and that they're upset that he's making all this money um, selling these shoddy systems that uh, aren't all that effective. And I don't know if like the neighbors are necessarily like aware of of the, the systems being just good enough, uh, but they are upset that he's made enough money to be able to like build an addition onto their fancy house and whatnot. Um, so there's a lot of like jealousy going on, like keeping up with the Joneses style. A lot of, uh, you know, my neighbors got it better than me. So therefore I, I hate him, that kind of a thing. But 
you know, I mean, overall, I, I agree. I think the concept is uh, is pretty interesting, and it is a bit of a thought experiment. Um, I do recall in my uh, psychology um, college courses that we did talk about catharsis and how there's the idea that that releasing something can be beneficial, but that overall, I believe that the the studies at the time indicated that it wasn't like a long lasting thing. And so my take on that would just be, well, people are either going to use that opportunity to be uh, even more violent than they would have otherwise been over the course of, you know, their average, you know, lifetime normally, uh, or um, they would, uh, you know, save up these aggressions or these grievances to then exact these revenges. Uh, and, and as they get further into the series, I just watched the second one the other night. Uh, it seemed to be now they're presenting in the second one that it's really just a population control measure to uh, eliminate the poor classes so that the government doesn't have to support them anymore monetarily with programs and whatnot. Um, so the I'd poor actually, people would want to would purge the rich people, but because of the security systems, they can't? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, there's a disparity. There's an inequality in that the rich can afford protection or right. weapons. Um, so therefore they can be the aggressors and the poor are, are defenseless. And in fact, in the second one, uh, this old man who's uh, got a, a terminal condition, he sells himself to uh, these rich people who ritualistically uh, purge him and they agree to pay his, um, his heirs a certain amount of money for him doing that. And I was like, hey, you know, <laughs> it's all above board as far as I'm concerned. Like he agreed to do it. They agreed to pay and he was going to die anyway. Uh, who am I to tell him he can't do that? But anyway, we're here to talk about the first movie. Um, but that's just, you know, some of my initial reply to you. And then uh, Olaf, do you have any take on the Google description, anything Robert said, or just anything that you took from the movie that you would like to bring out for discussion here? Yeah. Checkmate and cap lolbertarians. <laughs> like, you see what happens when you let the state police stand down? Like, everybody's just going to go out killing each other. We have to rethink our entire philosophy. This does not work. Owned. It's anarchy out there. Like, look, just 12 hours of anarchy. Look what it creates. All this chaos and murder and destruction and everything. No, I mean, it, it was kind of funny like that, but. No, I think um, yeah, I didn't. I, I wasn't. Um, I, I didn't like the movie primarily because I thought it was so highly predictable. Everything was extremely predictable from the first events with the boyfriend managing to break into the house. Like we we knew that the dad was not going to die there. We knew that if you know that he was weren't going to be the one who had to go. Like the, there were these series of went, and it was not a surprised at all in any way that the homeless dude gets to be you know the hero of the day pretty much um that it, it, everything was predictable in a very trivial trivial way uh which kind of made it almost boring uh or it, it was it became boring i think in, in that in that sense although there's there are a lot of topics to to extrapolate from um I do think that uh, there is, yeah, like I said this in the beginning, but uh, before the show started uh, in the pre-content, uh, I think it has a pretty intense pagan spin to it with the sacrificial habits uh, and the um, sort of 
the intense desire to to cleanse yourself in a way through sacrifice i mean that, that's that's very that's very much in the pagan spirit you know um because if you, uh, you look at what rene girard who's an author and founder of something called the mimetic theory and how there's always a scapegoat uh that has to be sacrificed uh in order to maintain uh peace of society the, this has a lot of elements that you can draw parallels from from his from his works and seeing that you know this specific family the protagonists like they said themselves the kid asked well, why aren't you doing this and they said well we don't have need we don't have the need to do this well that's 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 why that's gerard's argument when jesus christ dies on the cross he is the ultimate sacrifice that will end all this pagan savage behavior to bring uh, peace to the world, and that that's uh, that. There are interesting things like that to to strike from, but but that that, that was my that was my impression. That has a very a big pagan spin to it, and also reminds me a little bit of like the Hunger Games, like why they're doing this. They're the same motivations and the same arguments, but because we have to carry on civilization. It's part of our history now. It's like this sick ritual that they keep repeating. It's a um, hive mentality and um, and like a, a scapegoat mentality that it had. We have to sacrifice something in order mm. for peace to be maintained. Uh, yeah. it's very it's very pagan. Yeah, I, I, I like that take. Do you think that's intentional or is that just uh, coincidental? Based on, I think I think it's part of the of the sick uh, habits that are going on in Hollywood. I mean, they they are. They seem to be uh, on a pagan streak, like for the last few decades, you know. And uh, I think that reflects in their in the movies that come out of there, uh, and in, in also some of the stuff that probably goes on in there as well. Right. Uh, so it doesn't surprise me that this would shine through in some of these in some of these films that you, that you see. Uh, so yeah, no, I don't know if that's you know intentional or if it's a coincidence, but it very much reflects somehow the um, uh, I don't know. There is something about the the way they want to express human nature as this uh, this really evil uh, and kind of alternative spiritual thing that that uh, that, that plays in in it all. It's a it's a it's an interesting, very twisted, sick uh, stuff, but uh, definitely definitely worth <laughs> worth uh talking about right yeah i think i think you're right that that they are basically assuming that the nature of man is is evil and that mm -hmm. this is an opportunity for them and, and they also um liken it to being patriotic and so they use it uh all almost like it's a uh with a, a bit of a um religious fervor like they, they make it a patriotic duty and a right a positive right that you on this night can go and and kill whoever you want and, and and it's like it's 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 almost like um this is going to get us deplatformed but uh like the right to choose right like mm -hmm. we have a right to do this thing that uh, we want to do to you know like mitigate consequences for our actions things like that so uh and and it also brings up the whole idea of like well just because something's legal doesn't mean that it's right so there's like natural natural law and uh negative rights right negative rights are the only rights that 
truly can exist because everyone can exercise them all equally and at the same time without infringing on another. Positive rights implies that you can do something to someone else against their will or force them to provide a good or a service to you against their will. So there's just a big difference. And, I, and I'll go to Robert because I know you got a big rant in you about uh, just because something is legal or lawful doesn't mean that it's actually morally correct or something that uh, is justified in any way. Like they're just writing down things on paper and saying, uh, they're basically defying the reality of a situation because they, they wrote something on paper. Yeah, no, for sure. No, they, if we could just write down enough laws, we could have our, our own perfect society as if that's how that works. Um, no, I, the, the idea that, I mean, this is a very religious film, like you guys were saying, um, there's even, you know, all the ritualistic killing, like you're killing for the collective, for the state, kind of like the glorification of the nation as a whole. Um, like you're doing your, like you said, Daniel, your patriotic duty to be a good citizen, to release this animalistic anger and violence out. And this is why people go to gyms in the real world. This is why people do jujitsu, why they go running, why they do boxing. There are, many constructive ways actually of releasing any kind of pent up aggression. You're angry about something. You can turn it into a constructive way. You could build something. You could start a new project. You could do any number of things. But, um, the, uh, the main, it was, it was funny in the, the very end of the film, the, what struck me the most as the most religious thing was they're all sitting around this table and they're just waiting for the magical time to appear as if they're just, just waiting for the sign from their God for it to be seven o'clock in the morning. And then as, as if everybody just magically agrees that the purging is over and all, all what happened on the purge stays in the purge. And there's just not going to be, you know, we're, we're, we're back to being normal human beings. And it absolutely assumes that these characters are all sociopaths. And that they don't carry the resentment from the last year's purge with them the whole rest of the year. Like there wouldn't be revenge killings throughout the year. Um, a lot of murders are done as crimes of passion. They're not necessarily premeditated, you know, super criminal crimes where you're going to plot out exactly how you're going to get away with it and stuff. That's why a lot of criminals are just caught because you just you're not you're just in the moment and you're pissed. And shit's going down and you're not thinking about how you're putting on gloves and going to dust everything off afterwards. And I mean, you may clean up things afterwards, but it's messy because human beings react in a very sudden way when they see an injustice. Um, now, I know a lot of people are conditioned to like call the cops and that sort of thing. But when you are in a situation where you are going to take justice into your own hands you will do so quickly and just without, without even really thinking about it because you are seeing an injustice and you are going to rectify that. Uh, yeah, can I, can so, I interject a, a little here? Yeah, so we opened the film on these mostly peaceful um, protests at the very beginning of the movie, kind of opening this and uh, sort of what you're talking about is, um, you know, people taking justice into their own hands. Well, it's even more amplified now as the police have kind of stood down against these mostly peaceful protests. And in fact, there's riots in uh, Philadelphia right now, only you wouldn't know about it because they're not talking about it in the mainstream media. And I think it's because it doesn't um, poll well for the, uh, for the election for one team uh, over the other. Mm -hmm, um, mm -hmm. 
And uh, I forget where I was going with this exactly, but uh, let's see. Remind me of the last thing you, you were saying. Um, uh, talk about the immediacy of ex extracting justice when you see an injustice. You want to correctify it, correct it immediately. Oh, right, right. And if you find yourself to be the only one capable of doing that, then you will act. So, I mean, if you walk in on your wife cheating on you, you might you know pull out a gun and start blasting. You're not necessarily right. going to plan the perfect murder, walk out and then calm down and plan the perfect murder. You're in that moment, you're riled up, you are enraged at this event that you are witnessing. Right, yeah, and, and if you were to premeditate, then um, make sure that you bring gloves that are too small so that then later you can claim that they don't fit, so therefore you couldn't have been you. See, I picked up something in the early 90s. You learned. Let loose the, let loose the juice. Um, <laughs> But uh, the other thing uh, related to, uh, you mentioned these um, crimes happening, and, and this is statistics well before current year. It's current year, you know. Uh, come on, man, it's current year. Uh, but I think something along the lines of almost half of all violent crime doesn't even get reported to the police. I've got the statistics somewhere, and it's probably from 2015, 2016, something like that. So you can only imagine how much different it is now when uh, the police have essentially been told to stand down in a lot of these um, cities. Uh, so it's not even worth reporting these things uh, even more so than than in years past. So you you could probably see a lot of this stuff sort of happening um, with with more people being self-reliant on their own defense. It's kind of what mm -hmm. I'm, I'm driving at here. Um, Fantastic. The other thing I wanted to bring up, we sort of talked about, uh, he sells these security systems and apparently, you know, he has to admit to his wife, Circe, uh, that they're not actually going to be able to prevent uh, the, uh, the, what they call him, the uh, polite stranger from his gang of people breaking into the house. And really, it's just a matter of, like their security systems are are almost security theater. Like they need to look imposing and and be a bit of a deterrent so that they make other um, that make other targets more appealing. So it's like, you know, it, it's just to you, you only have to be faster than the next guy. You don't need to be faster than the bear. You just need to be faster than that other guy that the bear is also chasing. Yeah, I thought the wife's criticism was ridiculous. She was like, I mean, I know he probably had to have a character say that in the film. Like, oh, what? This isn't actually impregnable. And it's like, and then his his advice, his his response was, well, I mean, yeah. I mean, it's not like we're building the house out of diamond. It's, you know, they could get cars, they could get chains, they could pull on it, they could, they could go through the cracks. I mean, you're you're multiplying the security, but you're not making it impregnable to a you know, a massively determined attacker. This is why it's important to also be armed, which they were. This is why, you know, it's important to have friends in the neighborhood, which supposedly they were, but clearly that all goes away on Purge Night or whatever. I did appreciate. Now, this is what I kind of want to get into a little bit with you guys. Um, because a big plot point in the film, of course, is the movie starts off with a kid kind of doing something stupid. He's like actually still has empathy and he sees this guy being the attacked. Fool. And he's like, yo, <laughs> come on in. And so the dude comes in, he, without consulting anybody else, he just acts, right? He sees an injustice and he acts. He sees that he's able to help somebody and he hasn't been propagandized out of doing that action yet. So he does that, even though it's probably stupid, but the plot has to happen. So then these like American psycho kids all come up and they're like, yo, dude, 
we totally see these flowers that knows that you're, that means you're, you're signaling to us that you're totally down with what we're doing. And so you're one of us. This is great. Fantastic. We love you. Fantastic. Keep up the good job. But you've got this homeless scum that we were about to get our murder on with. You need to let us have him or else we're going to do to you what we're going to do to him. And the main character, I know he has to have an arc. So I'm on board with him having an arc. He's not a perfect protagonist. At first, he's like, okay, I'm going to protect my family and I'm going to get this guy out of here and give him, give him away. And then like his wife is like, look at us, look at what we're doing to him. And then he's like, oh yeah, totally. I still totally get what we're doing to him. And, and like, okay, this he sees the light now. And he goes, okay, now we're going to fight. And of course, if you're going to fight, and I would have fought instantly. Uh, I don't know about you guys, but I would have been like, yeah, screw you. I, I'm now I got one extra guy in here to help me fight you guys. So that's just, that's just how I roll. You're coming up to me with this energy saying that I got to be a bitch and bow down to you or else you're going to attack me. I don't think so, buddy. I got guns too. Let's see what happens. And I'm on the defensive side. I know my space and uh, it's going to be dark and we're going to be setting traps. So good luck. That's what I yeah, was you're, saying. You're the Alamo. It's like a 10 to one ratio and a defensive to offensive. Um, yeah. You know, casualty and I, rate. And I know it's not a perfect setup for defense, but he does have second story windows. He could have had rifles out the second story yeah. windows. Why he didn't do that. I don't know. Movie has to happen. I suppose he could also had a, a, a rifle out the, uh, the mail slot. I, you know, whatever you could break out a window, start gunning some fools down. Um, you know, all these ideas that I would have done from a defensive, like minded strategist position. Uh, but yeah, I, I, what did you guys think of the, Hey, this guy's got to go. Were you super upset with the main character? Would you have just gone instantly with me and been like, no, nah, fuck you. We're going, we're throwing down. Um, or would you have been like, yo, I'm, I got a, I got a duty to protect my family here. And I'm, calculating the odds and i think that the odds are better to save my children if i give this guy away now ultimately he goes nah screw it this is this is our home this is where our children live we're going down in a blaze of glory if we're going down but what did you guys think of that process were you more sympathetic to the hey let's go ahead and uh, take care of the uh the homeless guy olaf what do you think first buddy uh, well, I, th I it's a moral dilemma, and I was looking at this movie, a lot of a lot of things in it, and I was looking at it from because I come from a a, a Christian perspective on this, and the uh, the thing that strikes me, like among you, you don't get introduced to a lot of characters. So that's the first thing. But the the thing that you get introduced to is that this family and these people living in this house has some kind of moral conscience. They they still have empathy for people, and that differentiates them. And they don't have the need to go out and, and do the sacrificial kind of ritual like everybody else. And then they're sort of like come to their senses, right? They're like, well, what are we doing? What is this? is not us. This, we're not the pagans here. We, you know, we are better than this. You know, that's, that's, the, that's the thing. That, so I, I actually, I, I like that uh, twist to it. I like that, what, that, that they did not throw that guy out to the um to the savages out there to to just ritually slaughter him in some sick twisted way 
which they said have acknowledged themselves that we don't generally we don't need to be part of this but we kind of have this still like this collective they're not completely detached from it because they are supportive of the whole thing going on um just like many people who are you know uh christians in the united states today are some are still like completely attached to yeah but we're still supportive of some you know all of these things that the government is doing here and there you know when it comes to uh, you know like supporting israel or or uh, you know messing up the middle east uh, hey you know what we got to do what we got to do kind of thing um but you can still you can see that there is a conflict there going on a mental like struggle for them to and they they uh when they sort of real come to these realizations and changes their their way of looking at the situation and, and turns to say, okay, yeah, no, we, we're not doing this, and we're we're gonna go and fight the the um, the Satanists outside as opposed to throwing this innocent guy out to them. So I th- I actually like that. I thought that was uh, that was interesting. Yeah, um, I think that. Uh he wasn't really in a position to be the moral actor as far as he was threatened and his whole family was threatened. And this was uh, an accepted practice, not saying that it's a right practice, but all of the, the participants bought into the propaganda, at least leading into this confrontation. And so it's almost like there was a gun to his head and the way out was, we'll give up this guy and the family will be spared. And so I, I sort of was like kind of okay with that level of it because he wasn't doing it of, of his own free will, right? It was like, do this or we'll kill you. Right. Gun to your head, gun to your balls. You got, it's a bad situation either way. You're not the moral right. actor. So I'm not necessarily going to judge him if he does give up the guy. Right. But the, the thing that, that didn't work for me in this uh, was when he did decide, okay, you know what, we're going to stay and fight. Then he didn't have the conversation with the guy like, Hey, I was wrong. We are not going to give you up, but here's the thing we're going to do. We're going to fight. So we're going to release you and let's get a defensive position set up. Let's come up with a quick strategy, you know, like strategy session, real, you know, 10 second one, you go here, you go here, you go here, triangle of fire, defensive positions uh, at all egress points, whatever. But no, he leaves him tied up. And then, uh, Cersei just goes wandering around in the dark with a gun. Ethan Hawke goes wandering around in the dark with a gun. And yeah, I get it. You want to have like some tension and like what's behind him and oh, they don't see the guy and whatever. Uh, and it's movie making, but you know, it, you got to assume that your audience isn't totally stupid, right? Like, okay. Yeah. Oh, she can't see the, the masked person behind him. That's, that's been done before a million times, you know, 80 slasher movies. Uh, you don't need that here. What you need here yeah. is, is smart, you know, like, hey, we're we've made this decision now. Now let's implement something and, and let's get the, you know, let's get the audience watching this like down with, OK, we're going to fucking fight back, you know? Yeah. I, yeah, he, he has, yeah go ahead. Oh, well, I, ahead. I just to push on this point that you're making, um, you can have plenty of tension. I know they were doing it for dramatic effect, you know, having these like people run around in the dark and they had a low budget. You know, and they're kind of playing up on this. The, what you don't see is more terrifying than what you do see. And it's a Blair Witch kind of a thing. But you can have, and I know maybe it's not the movie they wanted to make. They wanted to make kind of a slasher or a thriller, gorier movie. But to your idea that 
you know, they implement a strategy and it w- I think the tension would have been a lot higher if you don't hate the main characters for being dumb. So yeah, they would have gotten in defensive positions and then you could still be overwhelmed and outnumbered. And there's still a lot of dramatic tension that way. I mean, I think I've, what you, you know, there's all kinds of last stand kind of movies that have been successful. I mean, Lord of the Rings, two towers with the battle of Helm's deep. You got like the Alamo. I'm sure there's all kinds of things I can't think of right now, but all kinds of movies where you're vastly outnumbered. You're uh, a you know, ragtag. Yeah. Yeah. There you go. Uh, some samurai, um, Bugs life. the last, last samurai, uh, tons of movies are, you know, small band of desperate defenders against overwhelming odds. So you could have, I know, no, it's been done obviously, but it, this is a different take on that kind of a story and you could have done it your own way. It would be kind of, uh, well, kind of a Waco situation where you've got people invading a home and you are defending it. And, uh, that would have been maybe a different movie than they wanted to make, but I think it would have been better for audience engagement and tension wise to portray the characters as a desperate team doing the best they can to fight off against overwhelming odds. Right. Like they sent the son with a gun to the laundry room and then, you know, he's there with a flashlight giving away his position. Like, yeah, so that like was just... let's all spread out and split up. Cause that makes yeah. sense. Anyway, I, Olaf, I know you were about to jump in and, and we probably kept going and you probably lost your train of thought, but um... <laughs> no, I was going to, I was going to say that he didn't have control over anybody. Right. So everybody, it was like each, each for their own kind of thing. Like each, each person went off of their own. And then when one of them found himself in trouble, somebody else just magically appeared and last second just killed the, the guy who was about to kill them. Yeah, they have so to get it, it again. Yeah, yeah I hated again, that. Yeah, like every yeah. single time. They, they didn't have control. Really Nobody knew where another person was. There was no coordination, team coordination in any way whatsoever. And it's just like by pure luck, when they were about to get slashed in the head by an axe or something, that the other person comes out there in the door and like blows the head off of that person who was about to kill him uh, last second. Uh, and that yeah, happened. I mean, yeah. So it's. Yeah. Uh, it, that was really frustrating to have them to be like, yeah. I'm going to get you. And then, ah, 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 and then, oh, he's shot in the back. Okay, I got it. But yeah, um, to have the main characters have this darkened house, you know, it's, it's, there's the movie, what's that movie, Daniel? Don't Breathe, where (laughs) there's a group of invaders in a house and there's this blind guy, or he's deaf and blind. He's deaf and blind, or deaf at least. I think he's just, no, just blind, right? Yeah, he could hear him. That's why they couldn't breathe. Yeah, that's right. He could hear him. So he's walking around the house. He knows every inch of that house. And, you know, he's terrifying, right? To these ragtag invader people. It, it, it could have been a really fun tables turn kind of a situation where you lure in these invaders into your home. And then you know, you, the lay of the land. you know the lay of the land. You've got, you turn off all the lights on purpose. And you set up ambushes for these assholes. And, you know, instead of them coming in and it being a, I know they wanted to make a horror movie, but like I said, the horror didn't work in this movie. It didn't. It just, the tension didn't work. So I think you would have been better off. I, I, I hate it when a, a reviewer rewrites the movie. Well, I don't necessarily hate it, but, you know, review the movie for what it is. I still enjoyed it, but I think it would have been more fun. The I think there's some things anyway. you could have done to make this an amazing movie. And it's just this simple stuff that we're talking about, you know, like leave some tension in there, have them come up with a plan, do an Alamo situation, do a, lay the land you know set traps kind of thing 
you know, Revolutionary War style, Patriot style. You know, they they knew what the British didn't know, and so they were able to uh, outflank them and and uh, pick them off, sort of guerrilla war style. Right, but, and they're yeah, a more determined enemy because they're defending their homeland, right? But yeah, right, yeah. There's a whole a whole bunch of angles you can go on that. Um, but uh, let's see. Oh yeah, so I, I did have a question. Or you could stand there and go, look, a homeless guy is running back around there. I think I see one. We're going to run by. Go get him. You know. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Now, speaking of, of the homeless guy that they take in, um, when I first read about the sequel to this, um, I noticed that the, there was a, the same character uh, or same actor in it, but I didn't know the actor's name or who he was. So I thought it was the creepy um, head of the gang the well-polished um, the American psycho kid. Yeah. American psycho kid. And I think they totally wasted him. Like he had, he had a certain look and a certain like persona that I think could have been really, really well played on. Like, I think that he was creepy initially, but then they just like kill him off very, very weakly. Like he's about to like kill them, but he has to, you know, monologue for a second. So, you know, of course he gets killed by the neighbors. <clears throat> but anyway, I had thought that the sequel was going to be the events leading up to this homeless guy arriving at their house. And I thought that would be fucking awesome. Let's see that gang with that uh, American Psycho Kid. The whole movie is how they got into chasing that guy and injuring him and how he escaped to this neighborhood. And that leads directly into this movie. But no, the sequel is almost totally detached from from this one. It's a year later, and that same um, actor is actually the guy who was the homeless guy, and now he's part of the resistance or whatever. So, mm. missed yeah, opportunity. I, most, yeah, missed opportunity for sure. That 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 main American Psycho kid is probably the most dynamic character in the movie. He is menacing. He's almost cartoonishly menacing, but he did a. I thought he did a really good job and they, he could have been like the face of the purge i mean based on how they want to run this series i guess i don't know they had different ideas but yeah and i'm surprised they didn't have point. him do the uh you know the villain uh is he dead you know come back and get you you know i mean that's every one of these girl. horror movies it's totally <laughs> or it's this twin brother that wants revenge and now the next movie it's the same actor but you know yeah yeah we, we got to make our own movies buddy <laughs> of course, if we made a movie, it would be <laughs> hot garbage. We, we'd miss all like, this, this stuff. But, and where uh, are we going to even get $3 million anyway? So, right. Well, I thought you guys had that with this show already. You must have $3 million. Come on. Well, all our Patreon support, um, lastnight.com slash Patreon, everyone. Uh, and, and thank you so much for, for the support we are getting now, by the way. Uh, we do have a, a nice stable of patrons, and uh, we do appreciate that you guys appreciate enough of what we do to. Do something uh, to, you know, make it known. Uh, we've also been getting uh, emails, suggestions, reviews. Um, and actually, uh, one of the suggestions was that we read reviews or we solicit Bill Burr style. Like, give us a review and just fucking trash us. Like, be, be rude to us. Like, give it five stars and then say something like crude and funny about us. And we'll read it on air. Um, I don't know if you, Robert, you know, the, the Bill Burr Money Morning Podcast. He, uh, oh, yeah. he reads like letters from people and they call him like a fucking cunt and a douchebag. And 
but uh, but they're like actually you know Out big of fans love. of his. But yeah, 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 yeah. It's like a jocular like ribbing style. So I think we could well, uh, you know maybe do something like that. Yeah, yeah. No, a lot of podcasts do like a hate mail segment, and they're almost always the funniest segment in the show. So yeah, that'd be a lot of fun. Babylon B. Have you I listened to their podcast? They do. They yeah, they recently started doing reading. a hate mail segment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Some of the funniest stuff ever. Absolutely. All right, so leave us a rating and review on uh, iTunes or wherever else you can do such a thing and uh, make sure it's five stars. I mean, you know, if we deserve it, uh, but then, you know, say something uh, funny, mean, funny, mean spirited, funny, uh, and we'll read it on air. Um, we've got, I don't know, like 20 some odd reviews on there now. And the more reviews there are, the more uh, other people will get suggested the show. And, you know, if you uh, do some good uh, <laughs> hilarious, hilarious stuff, uh, it might inspire others to do more. But anyway, um, let's get back to the movie. Uh, Olaf, did you have any notes or things that you wanted to cover before we um, we are actually getting low on time, uh, unfortunately? Yeah, no. I mean, I think the the important thing that we should emphasize more, I think, is the um, the play on egalitarian envy that is in there uh, from you know the people in the neighborhood, and it, it's creepy to see. Because it's not that far fetched from reality today. Oh yeah, yeah. Because that, that's how well what people off. want to do yeah. with those who are much better off. There are some yeah, people yeah. out there who wouldn't uh, hesitate to round them up and put them up against the wall, mm-hmm. uh, or, or or do other things. So it's not that far fetched at all, uh, and it's uh, kind of frightening how well it corresponds to you know, this uh, sentiment that exists in in society between, because people have been taught, many people from very young age, like the class analysis, not the one perhaps that we subscribe to between the, the predator, the predatory state and its prey, but instead it's the capitalist class versus the, the working class. And that is something that... Um, could turn very, very ugly, which it does in this movie. It's a prime example of that. So that's one, the type of scapegoat. They always need a scapegoat. Remember, that's the pagan ritual. So whether it's the rich capitalist or the homeless guy, see the contrast? They're both uh, uh, scapegoats for the uh, ritualistic uh, uh, killing that exists. And they're, they're, it's the same type of sentiment that exists towards both of them. One is the egalitarian envy. Um, the, towards the, uh, you know, these um, the sales uh, man and his family and their and their you know huge humongous uh, mansion that they live in and all their wealth that they have and the neighbors hate them because of their wealth and success. And on the other side, you have these kids, these psycho kids who hate this uh, poor dirty bag because he is you know the scum and low kind of uh, lower society and they just want to perch him because of who he is so there is two different spectrum of how you see that scapegoating um, mentality taking place and and how it manifests itself uh, that i think is that's like the most important the, the, the most interesting part of the entire movie is uh, to me at least is, is that the, the contrast between both of these sides are essentially ritualistic scapegoats to the masses, to the mob. Right. And yeah. they're people that do not want to take responsibility for their own actions. So they transfer all their self-loathing and hatred on 
some scapegoat and then yeah. kill that person and then feel all kinds of better about themselves. But yeah, the idea that that Ethan Hawke, you know, was forcing them to buy this home security system. Uh, obviously, they valued the home security system more than they valued their dollars. So to get upset at that, I mean, how they see Ethan Hawke as somebody to be murdered as opposed to someone that they are happy that is in the neighborhood because he is providing these home security systems to them for obviously a price that they can easily afford uh, is, is just beyond. I, I understand it happens all the time. People resent Amazon and Walmart for making their lives better every day. But, um, but it's, it, it's really on display here in this film, the, the, the scapegoating, because they just don't want to take responsibility for their own actions that they voluntarily bought this security system that all of a sudden now they're upset that he went and took the money that they paid for the security system and bought an addition on his house. I, why would you yeah. give a shit? Aren't they happy that they have the security system? I mean, aren't they? They're using, they're using it, right? <laughs> they're not the ones getting their houses invaded. Right. Right. And like the imagine, other thing is, yeah, imagine, imagine like live because that that was a wealthy neighborhood too, right? So it's like I have two yachts and you have four or five yachts, and now I'm upset because you have five. Why can't I just go back and enjoy my two yachts <laughs> that I have and live my happy life? I have to, you know, I hate you. I already live in like abundant luxury. Like all of those people, you could see the neighborhood, yeah. right? Every one of those lived in a gated community in abundance of of luxury. <laughs> We're obviously wealthy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, to yeah, to be envious of someone yeah. who has just a bit more than you when you already are in the, you know, it's absolutely ridiculous. what is it, the top one percent or whatever. Yeah, for sure. And that's an argument I think I've heard on um on Tom Woods. He he's mentioned that like, you know, your average Bernie voter uh who complains about the ninety-nine or the one percent, you know, that they're part of the ninety-nine percent. Well, they're they're looking at a very narrow view. Uh if you consider, you know, there's what over seven and a half billion people on the planet. Well, if you're making uh, you know, an average wage in the United States, well, guess what? Uh, worldwide, you are the one percent. You know, and and yet, you know, those Absolutely. are the those are the people out there, uh, you know, rioting and burning down cities uh, to send a message um, and uh, stimulate the economy, according to uh, a Krugman type. So that that's if, a lot. If of fun. you have a refrigerator, you're like in the top fifty percent or something like that. It's crazy. I mean, a lot of people around the world still don't necessarily have all the amenities that you even have, even the poor have here. Right. Now, Robert, I want to mention one other um, missed opportunity in, in the writing of this movie. Mm. And I thought it was a uh, foreshadowing was when that envious neighbor gave her the plate of cookies. I was like, oh, that's got to play a, pl- a role later. Like maybe at the end, they eat the cookies or poison or whatever. Like that was her method of killing her, purging her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But no, nothing. Yeah. And then the obvious little robot that the boy has, I thought that was going to play a bigger role or at least a role more at the end. I mean, he uses it throughout the film a little bit, especially when the lights first go out. But I thought it was going to be more of a thing, but it didn't really turn out to be. I I, I don't know. Right. And I, a secret I, hiding seemed, hole. Yeah. And it just seemed like a, you know, I mean, the guy had, I think he had a good concept for a movie but he's not necessarily the most seasoned screenwriter. So I think uh, um, if he had passed the script around to some more, you know, guys that kind of knew their chops a little bit better, they could have punched it up a bit and worked it, you know, and kind of massaged it into more of a satisfying story. 
but you know, it's, it's, it's probably a young guy. That's just my guy that's maybe been working for a while in Hollywood, but finally has a chance to get his script made, you know, and he's just not these, you know, guy that's done it a million times. He's a first, it's probably one of his first scripts he's ever written. And, uh, for the most part, it's decent. It's we've, we've kind of torn it apart a bit, but he had a pretty good concept and he executed it fairly well. And, uh, you know, I gotta, I gotta kind of cheer on this guy. I, I know that the, like you say, the, the subsequent films turned into more of like a class warfare, but I don't know what I don't know is, is what take, you know, what position the movie takes. Is it that, is it that, you know, these people, cause in this film, I, I very much believe that it is the property rights capitalists who are the heroes in this film and that the commies who just are the jealous, you know, kill it all, you know, ritual sacrifice. We should get shit for free are the villains. So that's a very different position than from what I understand of the sequels, not to say that uh, artists don't learn new things and, you know, change their mind and, you know, explore different views in their work. But do you understand that the subsequent films to be more kind of this communistic class warfare kind of position where it's like, yeah, rich people are evil, that kind of thing. Uh, the second one, and that's the only other one that I've seen. Yeah. It's played up a lot, a lot more uh, where there's actually rich people doing uh, auctions for being able to go into a um, controlled environment and hunt people who have been captured off the streets and brought in to be purged. Um, so there's very much a uh, anti-rich message in how the rich are heartless and, and not humanitarian at all, uh, treating the poor as if they are less than human. Do you know who the main character is? Is it one of the people captured or is it one of the people on the inside being the purgers and then he changes his mind because he realizes it's evil? Uh, the main character, I believe, it's a bit of an ensemble, but the main character is a, uh, a cop who uh, his son had been killed in, by a drunk driver. And so he's been plotting his revenge for the, uh, for the year waiting for purge night. And so he goes out uh, on purge night to go and, you know, exact his revenge. And along the way, he sees some innocent women uh, fighting back, but, but being outnumbered, uh, being uh, attacked by government agents. And so he gets involved with that. And then they end up all getting rounded up and brought into this uh, rich auction uh, hunt, ma hunting man, uh, the most dangerous game. Okay, so he situation. is one of the getting purged people. Right, right. But he, he does intend man to style. purge. He does intend to purge one person. Okay. Um, so he's a flawed and, main character then for the most part. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he ends up like not actually doing it. And then that guy saves his life at the end. Uh, you know, spoilers, everyone it's spoilers all the time on this show, of course. Um, now I wanted to ask, um, let's see at the very end, whether counting down the clock, like you had mentioned, you know, they're just waiting till 7am for whatever reason, the, the, the woman at the table tries to grab Cersei's scepter her gun. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, the homeless guy who's now on, on her side and helping her, you know, saved all of them, uh, is right there holding a gun. I was very surprised that they didn't have that result in that woman trying to grab the gun, similar to something, an event that might've happened uh, somewhere, uh, in North of Chicago, uh, in Wisconsin, somebody's grabbing a gun, 
right? And then they end up getting shots as a result. Uh, I was kind of surprised that we didn't see that happen because I know if if I were there, you know, holding people um, at bay for, you know, all right, at 7 a.m., we're, we're no longer, you know, purging each other. So until then, everyone stay cool. Be like little Fonzies. If somebody makes that move and tries to grab a gun, I'm sorry, you're getting shot. That is a furtive, aggressive motion that you're doing, threatening the lives of, of these people who are trying to preserve life. So I think that lady would have been shot uh, if this movie had been uh, more, I don't know, accurate to how real people would have reacted to that. And justifiably shot is what you're saying. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. She intended yeah. to grab that gun to, to kill uh, Cersei. Sure, sure. Now, it, it did... has already been, she had already been spared once, too. They spared her life once already. It's like, like, and because he says, what do you want to do, you know? Do you want me to shoot these people? And they're like, oh, yeah, please just do it quickly. Shoot us, you know? And she's like, no, we're not, we're not doing this anymore. So already there, she made clear, mm, I don't yeah. want to kill anybody here. And so she spared, her, she spared her life already once. And now she's attempting again to, to kill her. Yeah, I think, I mean, I was actually kind of, should have just blown her head <laughs> off right there. Yeah, I think they just wanted to have that, you yeah. know, smash the, the face down on the table scene for whatever reason. Uh, but, you know, you could actually look at it on a more like deeper psychological level. Like that woman said, okay, shoot us, just make it quick. So in her mind, she's already like come to terms with dying. And so now she's like, okay, she's sort of accepted. So now she's got nothing left to lose. She's willing to take that final grasp at the end to you know exact this ridiculous revenge of of envy uh for for her neighbor for whatever reason yeah for me um that last scene uh was just a big kind of cliche that happens in so many movies where the hero you know they they get to keep and show their true character their heroic character by not killing the villain but then the villain kind of forces the hero to kill them by grabbing the gun. I think we just did the movie called the postman where that happens at the end. Um, I can't, I, I can't think of all the times it's happened, but it's uh, especially back in the eighties and the nineties, it happened a lot where the hero's just too heroic, too good. And then they're not going to kill them at the end, but then the villain does something and you're forcing the hero's hand and, or they kill themselves or something like that. I like your take on it, Daniel, that it's, it's very in a real life situation. Uh, she was absolutely um, going for a weapon to do with the intent to do harm. Or even if she wasn't, you don't know what her intentions necessarily were. All you can do is assume that her intentions were to do harm. And all you can do is react with the, the, the desire to protect yourself and others. So yeah, absolutely. You, you, you blow her away. Um, but it is kind of a cliche where the, the villain grabs the gun at the end. And I'm kind of glad that they didn't uh, have her get shot because that's just, it's happened so many times. <laughs> yeah. Okay. All right. Well, uh, let's get into uh final summary and review and let's score it. Um, I think in the pre-show we were talking about uh, the electoral college and how many Olaf's each state is worth. Florida's worth 29 Olaf's. Uh, Washington state's worth 12 Olaf's. So perhaps we give this a score out of uh, 10 Olaf's uh, in honor of the base Swede, the anarcho Viking. Sure. Sounds good. I'll go first. So I like how um, this is a, it's, 
it shows the religiousness of the state. And these characters are very much on board with the, the, how good government has made the world by instituting this one night where the law doesn't apply and somehow morality doesn't apply either. Somehow everybody's a psychopath and you know, it wouldn't, it, it would not work in real life. There are a million and one reasons why it would not work. The number one being that we are social animals that live in a society together. And we tend to get upset when our friends and loved ones get murdered so the fact, the idea that we would just go, eh, well, he got murdered on the purge, you know, so I'm not upset about it. Or you would wait 364 days before you uh, get your uh, revenge on. I, it's just all silly and ridiculous, but it is a, a fun scenario to kind of have the thought experiment about what, you know, what could happen if people were like this, just don't take any lessons that people are like this, please. I did appreciate that the um, they specifically mentioned when they were talking about the purge happening that night that as a reminder, the bureaucrats, the government employees are immune from the purge. So you can't go and kill all the government people because of course you can't because they would be like on the chopping block first thing if the purge was a real thing. We're exempt. I mean, this is a great idea. But we can't be a part of it. Um, we're totally exempt. Uh, we can't, you know, what would you do without us? Uh, who would come up with these great ideas? So, um, yeah, that I thought that was fun. But um, for three million bucks and for like a first time filmmaker, it clearly it made a ton of cash, like proportionally for the investment. So that's fantastic. And it spawned a bunch of sequels. I don't know. Uh, the quality level of those. I know one of them is called Purge Anarchy. Probably, yeah, that's probably bad take on anarchy, if I can assume. But uh, yeah, I will give this, you know, because I, I just I had more fun at the movie's expense than I legitimately had fun. I think the execution was bad and we got into that and the reasons why there was no tension and that sort of thing. So I can't give it like a super positive rating, but in a way that it's like a bad movie. Like it's a bad movie but it's better than it has a right to be because of the concept. So I'm going to give this seven masked Olaf's out of 10, but it's a low seven. It's like a, it's like a, it's more of a six than a seven, but I got to give it a seven for the fun factor that I had and the, in the, in the good discussion that it prompted. So that's my rating. All right. All right. That's, that's pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I think that we did poke uh, a fair number of holes in it. And again, it's it's another one that's like a really good concept. I feel like uh, similar to The Postman, really good concept, kind of poor execution. And uh, I, I sort of blame The Postman on just Kevin Costner taking on too much. That's sort of what we were talked about in that episode. Uh, on this one, I think, yeah, it's probably related to this is maybe his first effort. And he uh, had a, you know, he knew he had a good concept. He got investors and he started making the movie and he just missed some of these areas that could have made it a little bit tighter, you know, adding a little bit more tension and adding a little bit more of like interesting things or reasons for things to have happened and, and have them kind of tie together, uh, which of course we can armchair quarterback uh, all day long. But uh, I, I felt like this was maybe a worthy episode or a movie to do for the election time, because I think that, you know, after having a uh, hundred and some odd days of mostly peaceful um, riots in many major cities in the U.S., uh, we can only imagine what the uh, flashpoint's going to be next Tuesday uh, as a result of, of whatever ends up happening. So um, uh, overall, I think it's uh, you know good premise, 
bit of a sloppy execution could have been a little bit tighter. Um, I think that uh, at least the uh, sequel, um, it actually got more favorable reviews than this one, which is a bit surprising because I liked this first one better. I have not seen the third one in the installment, which is called Election Night, uh, or the fourth one, which is called uh, The First Purge, which, so it's a bit of a prequel. And then the one coming out next year is, uh, I believe, titled Purge Forever. Uh, so anyway, it, it did enough to spawn off sequels and make a bunch of money. So uh, good, good on them for that. Uh, and it was a very interesting discussion. I'm really glad that we had Olaf on for tonight. And uh, I will give it six unmasked Olafs uh, for my rating. And we'll go over to Olaf for his rating and review. A uh, number of yourselves, please, sir. Uh, yeah, I'm going to give it the lowest so far. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give it five. Um, and some of them might even wear masks. I don't know, because it was a little bit, yeah. Um, anyway, no, I, th I think the cool stuff in the movie that you can, it's because it's, it's, it's not a new concept. I, I do recognize some of this, you know, from like the Hunger Games, where they play on the same, they refer back to its ancient, almost human practice, the... Uh, of uh, you know this religious sacrifice that's been going on for for um, well for a very long time throughout human history to pacify the population they need this thing to occur to pacify whatever gods they have and to not create too much tension so they organize all these types of events where there's religious or animal sacrifice and these kind of weird uh, weird stuff uncontrolled kind of chaotic uh, events to occur to control their um you know these animalistic instincts almost in in the population um so those that, that part was very interesting to um to witness uh i think where 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 the weak stuff is i think it uh the plot is very simplistic is highly predictable uh, some of the, uh, things going on in kind of, yeah, I know it's a low budget setting and everything, but I, I thought that it was, the, the, the plot did not, it, it did not satisfy. It appeals to a very kind of lower spectrum of the IQ in, in the population, I think. And, uh, uh, but yeah, no, as you said, and that what Robert said about and that we forgot to, to, to discuss and that I now remember was, you know, the, the announcement that the, you know the state, the state bureaucrats. There are exempt from this. Like, uh, like of course. Uh, what, what do you do? What do you do with these people? You know, <laughs> that's uh, <laughs> this is like those would have been the ones that have been tarred and feathered before everybody else. Um, and with regards to what's going on right now uh, on the streets in many of the cities, you know, we have to remember what, uh, Rothbard wrote about uh, a strategy for the right and what Hans Hermann Hoppe then, you know, extrapolate from and, you know, uh, provides further, uh, explanation for what the strategy ought to be for the right to remove these elements from society physically. Um, so yeah, no, there there are definitely material in there that uh, you can reference to and and look at what's going on today, also. Uh, so it was an interesting movie to talk about in this day, like in this moment, in the moment that we are living in. 
but I don't think it was a good movie. Like, uh, also, an, an interesting fa- fact about it was, you know, I had never heard the word lockdown before the pandemic. And it mm-hmm. just came back in this movie. And this was like years ago. It's like a lockdown. Oh, well, that's interesting. You know, I'd never, never even uh, heard that term before. Um, so kind of like almost a little bit of PTSD. Yeah. Um, no, I give it a five. I can't. Uh, I don't think I, I did not. I, I thought it was, um, you know, it, it, it almost was a parody of, it, of itself. It was supposed to be like a horror movie. Like I found out, I found that I was laughing more than, than like kind of, you know, and uh, being a, a control, in, scared in a controlled environment by it. That's that's how I wanted to be in with a horror movie. I would like the really, you know, The Shining or The Exorcist and those movies when you kind of like can really feel kind of this uh, fear in a controlled environment. This became more almost like a comedy thing, yeah, to a, to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah, I, I'd agree with a lot of what you're saying, and, and we'll of course have some of that uh, Rothbard and Hoppe stuff on the uh, show notes page at uh, what is this lastnighters.com/slash one forty eight. Um, and then uh, just so you guys are aware, and I haven't seen it, but apparently Purge Election Year, the third one in the in the series, they remove the uh, bureaucrats of level ten or higher are no longer exempt, and it's because there's somebody running for president who is. I think his platform is on um, turning off the purge or preventing the purge, something like that. So those with interest in maintaining the purge make this change so that he might be assassinated and not, not threaten the system. So, you know, another decent concept, but uh, probably not a good movie. Uh, again, I haven't seen it, but uh, it is kind of an interesting little um, alter alteration in the purge announcement and rules that they, they have uh, to protect themselves basically. Indeed. Well, I hope, I mean, I don't know. It doesn't sound like the, the concepts got a whole lot more radically, you know, sophisticated. I mean, he's playing with some similar elements here, but I, I would hope that in the sequels, they improve the, the action and the drama, especially, especially the action. The action was, it was like kind of hard to follow what's happening when there's a flashlight, you can kind of see what's happening. But if I don't see, I don't, understand you know i know the some of the stakes like if i cared about the characters okay but you also need to know the threat and understand the precarious position that the character's in in order to have tension and if it's just all a bunch of flashlights moving around and body parts and stuff you're just like what's what's happening am i supposed to feel something right now i don't know so hopefully that hopefully that's improved but it seems like the these people like to make these kind of horror slasher type movies and I don't know. High concept horror slasher. Yeah. There's something for everybody, I guess. You know, I guess the final thing I'd add on this is uh, in the first one and the second one, they present the, um, the purgers or the, the villains of the film as almost um, in a creepy, like uh, almost metaphysical way. Like they're, they're like ethereal in a way, at least initially uh, this was the same in the first movie and in the second one where there's all these like jump cuts to the security footage and they're like on the swing and then the swings move and then they're off the swing or there's like people in the yard and then they're not in the yard, that kind of a thing. They do a similar thing in the second one where there's this like group uh, with a van and motorcycles chasing these people and they just happen to like show up all over the place uh, just around every corner. Like it's almost in a, um, uh, like in a, like a creepy, like how are they doing this kind of a way. But then by the end of the movie, it's like, oh, he's just a guy trying to sell them to the rich people, you know, and it's just like 
Eh, okay. So he's not mystical. Well, that kind of falls flat then. Anyway, another concept that's like not well executed, and I think that's sort of the MO for what we see here. High concept, not not great on the execution, and and missed opportunities. That's that's the other thing. You, you when you're watching, you're like, oh, I want this to happen, and then you see what they do, and you're like, oh, all right, well, okay. It could have been so much better. It, it, like Olaf was saying, there was a lot of predictability uh, going on here that um, they could have played with probably a bit. And here I am criticizing people who make shit. I don't make shit. All I can do is fucking uh, uh, shit on uh, inward singing. I don't create. Anyway. <laughs> well, anyway, Olaf, it's it's been a, a great time having you on again. I hope you can stick around for just a little bit longer. I know it's late for you, but we do the uh, Kathleen Turner Overdrive, which is bonus content for the Patreon people. So lastnarrows.com slash Patreon, everyone. And uh, do throw a review our way and, and just, you know, lambast us, whatever you want. We'll read it on air in a, in a future upcoming episode. Uh, uh, put a name on there that you're willing to have us say, and um, we'll roast you back. You know, we'll, we'll take your criticism and we'll reply in real time. It'll be great. So uh, do that uh, over on our iTunes or, or wherever else that kind of thing goes. And uh, next week we're going to be, I, it's, it's hard to believe because uh, we're recording this near the end of October, but it's going to be after Halloween. It's going to be after the election. It's going to be um, right before uh, what's now called Veterans Day, but um, I, I like to think of as Armistice Day. So we're going to be doing another war movie with uh, a foreign policy expert, Kyle Anselone of the Libertarian Institute. He was on with us a couple of years ago for the Brad Pitt movie, War Machine. And uh, this next episode is going to be uh, a, a listener suggested movie called um, Beast of War, I think. The Beast of War. It's about uh, the Russians fighting the Afghanis, the Mujahideen, uh, who are the good guys. And it's this tank that is, uh, you know, attacking them. And it's like the story of these Russian guys. And apparently it's one of Quentin Tarantino's um writing partners, like favorite movies. It's very uh, unknown. It didn't get a lot of play, but it's apparently really well done. I have not seen it yet, but it is available on Amazon Prime. So Kyle Anselone will be on for uh, for that next week's Beast of War. I will have a link to that on our show notes page as well. So that'll be at lastnards.com slash 148. And uh, of course, you can find uh, Olaf's previous appearances there, uh, the Rothbard and Hoppe articles that we were talking about. And uh, we look forward to having... Uh, uh, Kyle on next week. And thanks a lot for being our guest, Olaf. Uh, we'd love to have you back again, uh, maybe in a couple of months and with a movie that, that, uh, you've seen and, and want to do. Um, of course, when I asked you on for this, you hadn't seen it, but, uh, I'm glad that you're willing to watch it and then come on and talk about it. We had a really great discussion with you. So thank you. Yeah. Thank you. All right. So Robert, any final words for our audience before we get into that Kathleen Turner drive? What can, what can people do? When, when can they expect to hear, um, the second episode of Robert's rants? I didn't even know there was going to be a first episode, Daniel. So who knows, man? You just you ask me a question and then you don't interject for about five minutes and I'll just rant about something. But it would be nice if you could get me fired up, you know, before I make it make it be something personal to me or something I'm really passionate about. But I don't think you have a problem doing that. So you can expect that in the near future. Um, you can support us at patreon.com slash last nighters. You can uh, go to trepster.com and buy some merch. You could just tell your friends, do a review like Daniel was talking about. Roast us if you like. If you, if you totally disagree with any aspect, if you think we're ugly, if you think we smell, if you think we uh, 
uh, who knows? I, I don't know. If you just disagree with us in any way or even just want to be funny, that'd be fantastic. Um, yeah. But anyway, we'll be back next week with uh, The Beast of War or something like that. The title. I'm not exactly sure. But yeah, it's supposed to be really, really good. Yeah, The Beast of War, I believe, is is the title. And I will make sure to have that on the show's page just in case I'm wrong. But uh, uh, I'm looking forward to that. And uh, we will get into some Kathleen Turner Overdrive right after this. So uh, with that, I'll say safe night, everyone. And uh, good night from last night. Peace out. <laughs>